Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. We're advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, and research. Welcome to AUKUS Amplified, the podcast series brought to you by the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. Today, we are highlighting a few of the many outstanding papers presented at the 31st annual meeting of the association, including the award papers. My name is Dr. Stefano Bini, and I'm the chair of the Digital Health and Social Media Committee at AUKUS and a professor at the University of California, San Francisco. Today, I will be joined as co-host on this podcast by Dr. Dusty Schuett, who's a member of our committee. Dr. Schuett, welcome to the podcast, and thank you very much for joining me. Please introduce yourself to our audience and introduce the paper we're highlighting today. Surgical approach from index to revision total hip arthroplasty. No increased risk of dislocation or revision. We are grateful that Dr. Harmer and Dr. Wiles are here with us today. Gentlemen, thank you very much for taking time out of your training to join us. Thanks for having us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Fantastic to have you with us today, guys. So let's get to it. Dr. Wiles, tell our audience why you were interested in this topic. What inspired you to do this work? Yeah, thank you for the question. This really started with a couple of experiences that uh, happened to me as a chief resident back-to-back weeks, actually, in residency. I was on our trauma service, and we had a patient come in that needed revision total hip arthroplasty for a periprosthetic fracture. They had had a posterior approach out in the community, and our standard on our trauma service is to do an anterolateral approach. We do that because we think it's relatively protective from dislocation, but it raised a curiosity in my mind because the patient had had a primary posterior approach if that was actually the case. The exact next week, I was actually on an arthroplasty service in our downtown campus and had the exact opposite situation where we had a patient come in for aseptic loosening that had had an anterolateral approach in the community, the surgeon I was working with preferred a posterior approach for revisions, so we were doing the exact opposite in this case. And that really led to some questions on whether or not we could study this and see if there was differential risk, whether there was concordance versus discordance between that primary and revision approach. That's absolutely fantastic. I love these stories that have the genesis to them, right? So what's the background that this falls into, Dr. Harmer? Conceptually, this is a question about approaching a revision hip. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of different factors that go into your approach selection when you're doing a revision procedure. Dislocation is certainly one of those, but the experience that the surgeon has in their training, um, as well as the typical approach that they use that they're most familiar with and maybe have the most tricks up their sleeve for, the particular indication for that revision, maybe any bone or soft tissue defects involved in that particular case, and whether or not they need to do a more extensile exposure. So, like Dr. Wiles said, we were really interested in the question of whether the particular approach that you use in revision, whether that was different from the primary approach, and whether that would influence the rate of dislocation moving forward. It's a fascinating uh, background of that. Dr. Harmer, I'd like to get into some key aspects of your paper as well. First, how was the study designed, and what was your genesis for designing it and the way you did it? Yeah, so this was a retrospective review using the Mayo Clinic Total Joint Registry, and it was important to us that we identified patients that had both the primary and the revision procedure performed at the same institution so that we could review the operative notes and know exactly which approach was used. So we included everybody that had both procedures performed from 2000 to 2018, and we categorized the approaches as posterior, lateral, and direct anterior. 
There's a number of approaches that were uncommonly used or those involving cancer surgery that we excluded. Ultimately, we ended up with 705 revision total hip arthroplasties for all causes. All right, well, thank you for explaining how you designed the study. When you looked at those 705 revision patients, uh, what did you find out? Yeah, so the first question we had was, how often were there discordant approaches? And in the overall cohort, it was about 14% of the time when there was a different approach in the primary and revision settings. And we actually found that that happened a lot more frequently among the group of people who had a direct anterior approach first. That was about 72% in that group. In terms of the overall dislocation risk, which is really the main question we were trying to ask, is the risk of dislocation higher uh, among those who had different approaches in the primary and revision setting, and we found that there was no difference. The second thing that we were trying to figure out, and really our primary question, was is there a difference in dislocation risk among those who had concordant or discordant surgical approaches? And we didn't detect any difference between those two groups. There was a 14% rate among those who had a concordant surgical approaches and an 8% rate among those who had discordant approaches. The last thing that we were really looking at was whether it was different based on their primary approach, whether it was posterior, lateral, or direct anterior. And among those who had a primary lateral approach, the five-year dislocation rates were very similar among those who had concordant or discordant approaches. With those who had a primary posterior approach, it w there was a trend toward a protective effect when there was a revision lateral approach performed. There was a 3% five-year dislocation rate among those who had posterior and then revision lateral approaches, whereas there was a 15% dislocation rate with those who had posterior and then posterior approach again. Though importantly, that wasn't statistically significant, but there was a significant trend in that direction. Lastly, we looked at the overall re-revision risk and we didn't detect any significant difference in the rate of re-revision among those who had concordant or discordant surgical approaches. Awesome, that's a lot of phenomenal data. Can you summarize it for our listeners? What's kind of the take home point for the study? Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors that we should take into account when we're choosing an approach in revision total hip arthroplasty. And at least with respect to dislocation, it doesn't seem to matter at least with respect to dislocation, it doesn't seem to matter what the primary approach was when we're choosing our revision approach. And Dr. Wiles, you're in fellowship now. What is your primary approach that you feel like you're going to be using coming out of fellowship? And does this paper make you think differently of what you would do for a primary approach or just say, do whatever primary you want, and then if you have to revise it, you can go however you want to go? Yeah, great question. You know, my current plan when I start practice next year is to do a combination of direct anterior as well as posterior approaches. I feel comfortable with both of those and I think there will be some patient-specific selection to that. I mean, one of the reasons I'm a fan of the direct anterior approach is for the protective effect uh, against dislocation. That being said, when we're looking at the revision setting, there's a lot of factors that go into that, a little bit more complex decision-making. And as far as the genesis of this paper, being looking specifically at dislocation it's just one of many factors there's morphology of what you're dealing with the pathology of what you're dealing with and so i think the message i take away and what i'm going to use in my practice is i can put my mind at ease to some degree about using approach from a dislocation standpoint and focus on some of those other factors that are going to be important to address the problem that the patient has 
So Dr. Harmer, you mentioned earlier that there was a 14% dislocation rate in the concordant approach group, meaning that people had the same approach both surgeries, as opposed to 8% in the discordant group. That wasn't statistically significant, but there was a strong trend. What do you think that data would end up being if you had larger sample size? Or yeah, I think the jury's still out on that. Certainly our, our study could be underpowered to be able to detect a significant difference there. We ultimately included all the patients that were available meeting the inclusion criteria, which uh, I think importantly was that we required them to have both the primary and the revision performed at the Mayo Clinic so that we could review the operative notes and be accurate in that regard. Okay. And one final question regarding the uh, methodology and statistics. Was this a manual review of all the data? So the approaches used were based on the total joint registry data, which involves a manual review as those cases are performed. And then there were a small number or a small proportion of those cases in which the approach was not clear based on the registry data, and those were manually reviewed by the authors. I find this topic fascinating. If, you know, for those of us who don't do, for example, anterior revisions, uh, the fact that I don't have to worry too much about doing an approach that's more comfortable to me uh, that probably won't give me a tremendous uh, deficit in my outcomes is, is good to know. That said, I have one question. It seems like there will be a significant impact on the, the results depending on whether or not the components are revised at the time of surgery. Were you able to look at that and take that into consideration as you report these results? Yeah, thank you for that question. You know, it's a very important one. We don't have that data incorporated into this specific study yet, but to your point, Dr. Beanie, I had the opportunity to present some complementary data this morning, uh, also out of our total joint registry, that demonstrated that acetabular revision independently after multivariable analysis decreased the risk of revision by 40% and there's many reasons why that could be the case. Malorientation, getting a bigger cup in place that could allow for a larger head size or dual mobility options, even constraint on a case-by-case basis. And so I think it's something that we definitely need to tease out to be more confident in what we're reporting. That's an absolutely critical data point to add to this body of work you guys have done. So going forward, is there anything you're thinking that still needs to be looked at from your registry that you've already started thinking about in terms of how to complement this work you've done so far? From the standpoint of our own registry, I think that we're running up against the limits of, uh, of our numbers at this point, as uh, Dr. Harmer has pointed out nicely that it was very important to us in this study to limit the group to ones where we could be completely confident in the fidelity of the approach data and read the operative reports on an as-needed basis to make sure that we're talking the same language with reports to structures that were violated. As far as the next steps in this research, I would really love to see other institutions take a look at this question, especially those that might have a different case mix and balance, for example, where I'm at now in fellowship at Ortho Carolina. There are more patients that we perform revisions on that had a primary direct anterior approach. That's a limitation to our study is we had small numbers of direct anterior patients that were revised and even smaller numbers that had their revision through a direct anterior. And I think that's an open question as it becomes more popular throughout the country and something we need to, to know if that's impacting the dislocation risk of our patients as we have the tools to mitigate that risk with implants and, and other strategies. So just making sure that we're prepared as surgeons going into these revisions with eyes wide open, that data will be very important. 
of the wilds, I think that's a very good way to sum up the strategy because it's important for us all to realize the limits of our data and at the same time learn from what we can and keep that into consideration. This is a, one of my favorite papers because it addresses a question many of us who do revision work are challenged with every day. It's one of the first questions you ask when a patient comes in, what was the original approach? You immediately start to think about what your options are to address that problem. So you gave us some terrific insights that we can all apply. And so with that, we'll close out this podcast and ask our audience to consider subscribing to the ACAS Amplified podcast series on your favorite podcast channel. Till then, from all of us at ACAS Amplified, have an amazing day. Thank you for joining us for AUKUS Amplified. Visit aahks.org to learn more about how members of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons educate, advocate, and investigate in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery.